Welcome to View from the Pool. On this episode, I'm joined by David Ashbridge from Hamilton District Council, and he's the Leisure Operations Manager there. How are you doing, David? Good, thanks, Robbie. Self? Yeah, it's uh, it's a nice day. It's not snowing. It's not raining uh, in Ireland anyway, so that's that's a bonus. Just looking out the window at a bit of sunshine, a bit of spring in the air, it feels like. So a, bit, a little bit of hope maybe in the air at last. Hopefully, yes. Hopefully, indeed. Yeah, it's been um, a difficult winter, I think, is probably the, the most polite way of putting it, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. It's been really tough for, for everyone, I think, concerned. But uh, um, like you yeah. said, it's hope now at the end of the tunnel. So are you furloughed or not currently? No, we're not furloughed. The council are continuing to pay all employees, even though they're just left hands. Can't go into the, into the facilities at the moment. But um, all management teams, certainly my team, are working. So we've got plenty of stuff to be on with. <laughs> Oh, yes, I mean, and I can talk about that as we go through. Certainly, mm. I've noticed a difference in having people who have a little bit more time in their hands, or which has proven beneficial to to many, just to be able to sit back and draw breath and go, "Yeah, you know that little job I've been meaning to do for the last three, four years, but never had the time." And, and yeah. that's certainly reflected in in my line of business, and I'm sure in many others. David, let let's just start the ball rolling here. As you know, um, to qualify. For the view from the pool podcast, mm-hmm. you must have um, walked the deck at some stage and sat in the chair and carried the whistle or swung the whistle and worn the flip flops. So, tell me, tell me a little bit about your journey, how you got in, how you got into the swimming side of things, and then how you ended up getting qualified as a lifeguard. Yeah, well, it's sort of I take go back quite a while here actually in terms of I've always been had a keen interest in sports and um, played. From a very young age, uh, playing right the way through to sort of early thirties, before having an unfortunate cruciate knee ligament injury. Um, yeah, yeah, it wasn't great. Um, but um, from early days, I was, I was keen in sport, keeping fit, uh, generally keeping fit, including swimming within that. Um, but really, the opportunity arose when I went to college to do my BTEC National Diploma in Sports Science. There was a, okay. There was an opportunity there as part of the qualification to become a lifeguard. So I am. Um, I took that and, you know, I thought, this is great, fantastic. You know, I can get a, a well-paid job doing a job that um, seemed very interesting at the time. I mean, I cast my mind back to them times that I was happy to find a bear watch. So um, it was really appealing <laughs> to me to become a lifeguard. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, I, I had real fond memories of using the local leisure centre, you know, sort of a Friday night family treat sort of thing in our house. So we'd go on a Friday night, go swimming, then we'd get some fish and chips and go on. But it was sort of a something to look forward to as a family on a weekly basis. So then sort of feelings made me think, great, this is, this is for me. I'm, I'm keen to do this job um, and all the trappings that would come with it, I suppose. So, um, it's really interesting you say that, actually, because, again, when I do these podcasts, people keep saying stuff that triggers memories for myself. And what you just said there about the Friday night has just come back to me too all of a sudden. that I remember where I grew up was an was a open-air tidal seawater pool it was only open in in the summer um and lauren swimming pool was down the road and it had the deep end 12 foot six and warm water and all the rest of it but it was a friday night thing too and i'd forgotten about that completely until you've just mentioned it was part of right let's go down down as a family and then you know i used to get double egg and chips on the way home yeah, <laughs> so yeah. i'd forgotten about that completely so you whenever you did your b-tech what age were you sort of was that 16 17 18 16, 17, I think it was yeah. 97, yeah. 
uh, 97 I did the qualification, um, two weeks intensive course at the Neptune, Le- Neptune Leisure Centre in Middlesbrough. Okay. Yeah, the 50 um, metre job, is it? Yeah, yeah. Yep, um, know it well. Yeah. And so, had you any inkling at all before that about doing a lifeguard qualification? No, I just I just saw it though as, as a when I used to go swimming in my younger days. You know, it seemed like a good job. You know, it seemed something that would be interested in doing. It's, it seemed quite glamorous, as I say at the time. I had you know this vision of it being you know a very slow motion. Job. Yeah, uh, yeah. It didn't quite materialize that way. I have to say, as, as time went on, but uh, um, it was a, a glamorous job. It was a well-paid job at the time. It was a really well-paid job. So um, it had a bit of sport and fitness element to it, which is what I enjoyed. It just seemed the perfect mm. fit around my, my qualification at um, college at the time. So, and did you use? You know, you did that qualification while you were doing your your BTEC. Did you use that qualification quickly, as in apply for a job as a lifeguard? Yeah. Yeah. Straight away, so as soon as the course really, started, yeah, yeah. And, and where did you go? Where was your first port of call? My first port of call was actually at the, the Berry Girls, what is now called Neptune Leisure Centre, um, in right. Middlesbrough. Um, and it's and it was almost sort of a week or two after my I gained the qualification, I started work there, and I was literally thrown at the deep end, you know. I was, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, six, 16, 17 year old, 17, I think I was just just done. And um, it was sort of six o'clock in the morning starts, which was new to me, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, As my son says, that's still yesterday. Yeah, 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 absolutely. That's what we call it. Uh, And then 11.30 at night finishes, and that's sort of an all-new world to me. And and actually, the the area where the Lush Centre is, it's it's quite a a deprived area in Middlesbrough, so I've had loads of social issues at at, at the time. So it was really a bathroom of fire, really, in terms of working there. And I did that for about six weeks, pretty much working full time hours, um, and learned a lot. <laughs> learned a lot in that time. There's a theme run through a lot of these podcasts, obviously because we're all lifeguards. But it's that that shock from having to grow up so quickly, you know. And you as a 16, 17 year old. I mean, I was 18, 19, and I had no clue what was going on in the real world. And then next thing you're standing on the deck with responsibilities and having to control and manage your swimmers and users and tell people off and you know blow whistles and stop running etc etc it's it's quite a baptism of fire and particularly like neptune's a big old pool i think you said it's a 50 meter yeah i think it is i think it is there's a boom in the middle so i, I mean it, it, i'm going back a while before i was last there so i, I assume it was 50 meters actually it certainly felt like it maybe in those days. I don't know. I can't remember. I, I mean, somebody will let, let me know if I'm wrong. David, is that where you're from? Are you from around the Middlesbrough neck of the woods near Neptune? Yeah, well, nearby. I'm from East Cleveland, a place called uh, Carlin a small village near Loftus Leisure Centre. Oh, near Loftus, right. I know it I know it as well. Mm. So it wasn't it wasn't too far to travel to get to work then? No, I, mean, I, could, I could literally walk there in the morning, which was, was great, and walk back in the evening. So, so you were still at... Doing casual hours, etc., at Neptune while you were doing your BTEC. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, that's right. And then I wanted to work close to home, so whilst you know Neptune was relatively close, I still needed my parents to take me there in the morning. All right. Nice. Yeah. Six o'clock start. Yeah, I'm happy, <laughs> yeah. happy about that. Yeah. yeah, I think my board money went up that at that point. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, yeah, I uh, I then luckily I got a casual job at the local agency at Loftus, so I could walk. Yeah. Work, as I said previously so um and that was great then so i, I, I worked pretty much them i was around my my uh, my college work after you finished college what what was your next step or what did you do next well i had ambitions to be um 
fighter pilot, believe it or not, in the RAF, and I got so far okay. down the line with that. Um, um, but at the same time, I, to keep my options open, I also applied for a leisure mm. management degree uh, course at Teesside University. Mm. Uh, so in the summer, building up to that, I've done lots of work as a lifeguard. I was pretty much working 50-hour weeks uh, as a lifeguard, mm. earning quite a lot of money. You know, 17, 18 year old, uh, yeah. it was great. You know, I sort of loads of time on my hands and uh, loads of money. Um, and I sort, I sort of got in, got into it a bit more, thinking actually, you know, could this be a career for me? You know, I sort of looked into some some people I worked with at the time, duty managers, and then some managers. And I thought hey, this could be this could be for me. Um, and I pulled out at the sort of second to last stage of the fighter pilot uh, dream. Um, and I regret that sometimes thinking back, but I did because, you know, my circumstances at the time were that I yeah. was quite enjoying my life as, as a lifeguard yeah. and uh, weren't thinking too much about the future all of a sudden. Um, and then uh, pursued the, the lifeguard route, really. Um, and then not long after I became a duty manager, I decided not to do a degree um, in leisure management right. as well because I got offered full-time work and it just, everything sort of slotted in quite nicely for me. Um, I think though, I, I do feel a little bit like maybe that was a bit of a disappointment on my mum and dad's part because they always thought I had a bit more about me um, yeah. to, do, to do more. Um, but I always knew I would do more in my mind because I just thought, yeah. I, uh, you know, this is, whilst this is, you know, at the moment I'm working as, as a lifeguard, you know, there's opportunities mm. in the industry for me to progress. It's very interesting. Again, that there's this trait that seems to be running through us lifeguards, if you like, you know, those that are quite, fo- you know, lifeguard, university, ladder da, 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 da. and then there's folk like probably you and me who kind of fell into it by by accident and yeah. discovered that you really enjoyed it and and there's as you said you know making a few quid and going do you know what i don't think i'll bother doing this or i don't think i'll need to go to university yet i'm going to enjoy myself i don't think i want to go off and fly planes and fight in a war i think i'll just stick here or whatever yeah. you know the the driver is so it's interesting and, and i i like drawing that sort of information out to show people that there isn't a right nor a wrong way mm. and it's a very individual thing about your own pace mm. but i think you do i think every young i mean young a lifeguard for a young person is such a brilliant job mm. it, the responsibilities you learn and life skills you pick up at that age it is incredible so but you don't realize it and you're having fun you decided then right uni can wait or i'll not bother with uni i'll not bother with the air force I'm going to stick here, have a bit of fun while I'm lifeguarding. Mom and dad a bit disappointed. I can relate to a lot of these things, by the mm. way. You've been offered full-time hours, etc. So was that whenever you started getting the, the breaks, if you like, into into, bit of, into management roles too then? Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought at that point, you know, because so I had my hack, I sort of expected to be doing a bit more at that point in my life, you know, in terms of um, university possibly or, or, the, or the, in the area, as I mentioned. So I thought, well, I'll give this a try as a, as a, as a duty manager. There was a, a, a vacancy came up for a training duty officer at the time. So I'll give it a go. It was pretty much straight away, you know, not long after I decided to take that route. And then thankfully I got that post and um, started doing quite a lot of shifts covering. And then naturally things from there progressed because, you know, somebody left and then an opportunity arose. But yeah. um, at the time I was working for Tees Valley Leisure. So they had a clutch of leisure yes. in the East Cleveland area. Um, and I do work at some of the other sites, so Red Car Leisure Centre, as it was then, because it's, yeah. it's been uh, knocked down and built again. Um, and then Eston Swimming Pool, um, and that was a big leisure centre to work at. And then, uh, in fact, Gisborough Salt, and I did them all. So I started working around them as a, as a 
training like training group manager and and sometimes lifeguard. And that was really great for experience because you know if you work at one site all the time, you you become very familiar with it, but you learn lots of good insights is what I found. You know, there's a lot of folk who have done that, have worked their way up a ladder, let's say, but never moved. You know, stayed in the same site, so they've no experience, no life experience of what's how to do things differently. So I think the the, the choices you made have prop pro, well have stood you in good stead. Tell me something, Tease Valley. Did, did you ever come across? Um, I was chatting to him last week. Cov, um, who's now at Wakefield. Cov Baharati, no? Yeah, I know. Well, I know him. I've actually got a meeting with Cov. Yeah. Times, so yeah, we've sort of you know some network calls together. I was chatting to him, and I had no clue that he he had worked in and around there as well, and um, Loftus and Red Cow was involved in that before the new one was built etc and then he moved back down to down the wakefield direction so there you go two people i've spoken to in the last couple of weeks and, and how the the interlink which again is another trait of this i suppose it's the sign of our business that so many people know other people particularly those of us that move around a bit so where was did there get, get this stage when you went this is for me okay i'm getting older but this is a good business and this is what i want to stay in yeah, well, again, you know, I was still relatively young. I think the first time I, I, I then got a, a full-time duty manager job was I was only 19, 18, 19. So, right, mate. You were yeah, yeah, very yeah, young. I was, I was young, relatively speaking. So, um, so, and I thought, well, great, I'm, I'm young here. I'm, I've got my foot in the door. I think, uh, well, now I can progress surely to, to aspire to be the, the centre manager. And at that point in time, I remember thinking to myself, well, if I could just be a, you know, an assistant manager or a centre manager level, that would be great and I would be happy. Yeah, with I'd be happy, yeah. Yeah, I would just be happy. That <laughs> yeah. would be me and that would be, you know, sort of my dream achieved, if you like, at that point. Um, but you don't, you sort of get into that, that cycle, don't you, of getting into mm. these roles and then all of a sudden you, you find, look back and think, how did I get here? But, um, um, yeah, at that point, you know, so relatively straight straight after I've become full-time lifeguard, I then moved into the role of uh, duty manager at uh, Gisborne Swimming Pool. And Gisborne Swimming Pool was, um, and is, a, a very old leisure centre. It was probably 50, 60-year-old. Um, and 50, 60-year-old plant at the time when I was there. It was very old. Um, um, and so it was very different to, to some of the sites I'd worked at previously and had some very sort of local challenges around it. But it had a real sort of strong uh, base of customers that were very vocal about using the centre and, um, and passionate about using the centre. So it was just different, but it was uh, very interesting and, again, gave me another sort of string to the board, if you like, uh, as, I, as I move forward. So I, I worked there for a couple of years and then uh, an opportunity arose at Stokes Leisure Centre, which is now within Hamilton, where I work, yep. uh, as a duty manager there and uh, went for that. And unfortunately, I got that as full-time duty manager. So, and, and that was your switch over to Hamilton then, was it? That was my switch over to Hamilton, yeah. Um, and again, you know, at each point in turn here, the, the huge learning curves because, again, different organisation, very different way of doing things. Um, my centre manager there at the time was, was was great for me, actually, because she um, she had a certain style where she um, she knew what she wanted and she's sort of very prescriptive in terms of what she wanted from me. And I just thought it was great, great to work with that because I knew what I was doing on a daily basis and, and how well I was doing so. Um, that really gave me good structure to, to, to build on and build foundations to um, to make myself better and also in future down the line use them skills to to apply to to managing others. So so that was yeah that was me going to Stokes. So she was quite influential, obviously. 
Yeah, she was actually. Yeah, she was. And um, I worked with her for a number of years afterwards um, at the same level, actually, as I was moved down the line. But um, um, the skills I got from, from her at that point in time were, were invaluable, really. And I still sort of deploy some of them today. It was sort of a little bit old school, uh, you know, operational management style uh, approach that she had. But um, but I don't think, you you know, I think there's still a place for that still. I still think there's a place for that style. You know, I think it's too often these days. We look in the industry and we focused on making sales or, you know, looking more outgoing. But really, you know, the core of your business is how you operate and your standards within your leisure centres. So, um, and that's really helped me, I think, you know, along the way. Yeah, I, I think um, that what the world has gone through, what we've all gone through with this pa- pandemic has kind of pressed a reset button on a lot of things where, and, and the example being, I was reading something on LinkedIn this morning, and you know, it was about technology and this, that, and the other. And I actually ended up writing a comment on it um, because it was it, the person mentioned it. It was, it was lift up the phone, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, and go and talk to people. So when you're talking about, let's say, membership retentions, et cetera, et cetera, you know, not so long ago it was all electronic, you know, Mailchimp's and SMS and you know, Facebook and you know, all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, and there wasn't the old style contact, if you like, you know, mm. how you doing, David? You know, you, you, we haven't, obviously you haven't been about for the last year. We're reopening again and, and enticing someone back with that one-to-one personal call rather than a thousand emails going out and only two people opening them. Yeah. I, so I think old, old school it has got a place you know it's about this blend how we're going to take this whole thing forward mm. future uh, and and the networking I, I think is you mentioned that earlier there that you you that you've got quite a strong networking arrangement within your current working environment an area with with adjacent councils haven't you yeah yeah we have we have quite a lot of contact and benchmark frequently we have a you know a local set of north yorkshire sport created a a hub of leisure centres that surround the Yorkshire region, and we sort of work together on various projects, but also talk to each other to any issues. So we find that very useful. Do you think that's? I mean, is that is that a Yorkshire thing? Because Yorkshire's so you know it's such a big area and and spread out, you know, across the moors, <laughs> if you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that because you don't hear about that sort of networking as much of that in other parts of the country? Yeah, I think so, and and. The leisure centres that are involved in this network are all sort of district council leisure centres. Yeah, so they're not trusts and they're not, well, they might be trusts, but they're all local authority-run leisure facilities, not necessarily your place's leisure, your everyone actives. Yeah, and that sort of is the, the commonality we've got between each other, you know, and our shared experiences. So uh, there's still obviously a place for that. Because there is strength in that, I think, with the local authority people, the weakness in local authority is if you don't network, isn't it? If you just become yeah. so insular that you don't actually know or care what goes on outside in the real world. This is the, how we've done it, and this is the way we always do it. And you walk into the centre, and the programme is still the same as it was in 1985. Yeah, absolutely. You see that. I mean, I'm, I'm very conscious of that. I always have been really of that, that you, know, you don't want to fall into the trap of becoming this sort of stereotypical local authority leisure centre that's sort of has the same problem as you say from 1985. So I, I always drive for, for, and I've been told, you know, shown a way by some of the, the leaders that I've worked with that that's the way to do it. So um, we do benchmark often and we, we network. Um, and, and as well as that, I, I 
later on as, as I moved through the, the ranks, so to speak, I, I became a Quest mystery visitor. Oh, yeah, that was um, list, yeah. So that became really sort of useful for me in terms of checking out what others do and what others don't do particularly well, you know. Yeah. So I, it sort of gave me a bit more confidence that we're doing things as, uh, as well as we should be, really. Yeah, I think Quest has intrigued me for a long time. I remember when it came out, first of all, I was still involved in leisure management. And I don't know if you ever remember the thing that came out for a while called the Charter Mark. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I went through that and did that, and that was painful. And I just yeah. felt, I'm only doing this, we're only doing this to get an award. It doesn't, no. I don't know if it actually makes anything better. Uh, mm. Quest has, has changed all that. Uh, Quest is very different from, it, it, it's evolved pretty well along the, the mm. lines. But I think what what, I, I'm always intrigued with is what you've just said about the, the quest, mystery visits, etc. And did you, when you were doing things like that, did you discover, you know, did you go to, let's say you went to Leisure Centre A and see the way they were doing something and go, oh, do you know what? I like that. I'm going to bring that back with me. Oh, yeah. Uh, often, you know, lots of the stuff that, you know, I brought in. Because um, as I progressed, you know, I'm sort of jumping a little bit ahead of time yeah. here, but I uh, became a duty manager, then I became assistant manager, but then I became the health and fitness manager for the organization. So I was much more of a commercial role then. Okay, so um, you, you went like, so it really was bang, bang, bang. So you joined Stokesley and yeah. you, as a duty manager, and then became assistant manager. Became assistant manager, yeah, uh, and then health and fitness manager, yeah. In a, in a relatively short period of time, I think I was 24, 25 when I became the health and fitness now, manager. D- when you, you took the leap to, to the dark side into the health and <laughs> Some fit. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, was that a choice or were you kind of, were you encouraged to do that or was that something that you go, you know what, I want to do that? Or was it another one of those triggers again, you know, this will do me no harm? Well, yeah, a bit of everything you said there, but um, I was always that way inclined, really, yeah. more towards that side of things, the, the health, and, health and fitness element. Yeah. So, and, and my work program as a duty manager and assistant manager was always sort of geared towards you know, the marketing aspect of the green leisure centers, memberships, et cetera, looking after the gyms. So um, to become the health and fitness manager for the organisation just felt a good fit at the time. Um, and how many? And was, sorry, how many gyms was that involved in there? How many? Was that all the leisure centres? Just to yeah, clarify my yeah. own head, so all the leisure centres within the district, you were responsible for the fitness suite side of things. Would that be and membership, etc.? Yeah, pretty much. So included things like membership, as you say, group fitness programming. Uh, gyms and provision of gym equipment, etc. So personal training as well. So, um, and that was a huge learning curve. That you know, because it was it was very different mm-hmm. uh, to the operational role I had. Um, but I learned loads on that. You know, in terms of being more innovative. You know, having to be more in- innovative because that's what it was about at the time. You know, things were changing rapidly in the industry. So, um, and we we did really well. You know, I had a colleague, a marketing manager, we still work with now, and we worked sort of together. Um, quite a lot on lots of the projects um, and I think you know our roles were very successful but we were given the opportunity to, to have time to, to develop some of the things that we put in place so um, so that was great for me at that point and that's when I became a, a quest mystery visitor as well so uh, it all sort of linked together. And well uh, and in your role there in, in health and fitness did you set your did you set your own targets or who set your targets for you for memberships etc cetera, etc cetera? And did you have your own budget as well? Or were you still under the umbrella of, let's say, the centre manager for the hell of it? Yeah, that was the challenge because um, we had the, the operational team, which is you know, obviously where I'd left <laughs> the dark side, as you mentioned. Um, they, they tied the purse strings still, so to speak. Um, 
but I had a really supportive manager who still was actually my boss still today. But um, he, he at the time was very keen for us to develop uh, a much more commercial focus. Okay. Um, and he helped and supported us in terms of setting membership targets, etc. Um, and then you know, persuading managers regarding budgets, etc. So um, it was made a bit easier. But it, it, there was the friction was there, you know, and, and I think the friction is still there. You know, when I think back now, I operate our business. It probably exists in quite a lot of facilities, even in, in let's call it the private sector, where, you, where you've seen, you've very much got the, the gym and their, their own team of yeah. pushing memberships, et cetera, et cetera. And then you've got the, the aquatic side of, of the business mm-hmm. or, or the main mm-hmm. hall, et cetera. So I, mm-hmm. I'm guessing that's still all over the place too and even even when you think about covid how it split split the industry as well you know gyms can open but pools can't and vice versa yeah. you know yeah. you go hang on a minute so <laughs> that that's that's prevailed that that little split between you know that divide if you like between the two so right okay quest you touched on quest how did you did you volunteer did, you know did you see something and, and hang on mystery visit i'll have a go at that or was it somebody came to you and you went, we should be doing that? Well, we were heavily involved in Quest at the time. Okay. My, my boss at the time was a, a lead Quest assessor. Um, so he was obviously, you know, we were very deep in Quest. You know, we sort of lived and breathed it. Um, you know, and, and again, lots of good came from that. You know? um, and, and I could see that, the positivity that was coming from that really. And I thought, ah, this is something where I, I'd like to get involved in this. Um, because again, I thought, actually, this love. You know, longer term benefits for me if I'm involved with Quest. You know, it's great for the CV, but it gives me really good ideas about what I can then bring back to the workplace. So, um, to to start on that journey, I, I became a mystery visitor, um, and then I think I must have done 15, 20 mystery visits over the course of a year, year and a half, um, in my local area. Sort of going down as far as sort of Leeds, but then as far as sort of Newcastle way. Um, and that was great, you know, in terms of what I'd seen. I mean, I, I have got a little story about one of the sites I went to. Yeah, uh, go for it. On my journey there. So I, um, there's a small, small miner, miner's village in, uh, in Durham, County Durham somewhere. Um, and I'll, I won't name it because, yeah. you know, people, <laughs> well, everybody it, knows but, everybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, I planned and done all the work that I had to do to prep for the, uh, the mystery visits. And I decided I was going to go spin. Um, and then I was going to, when I was on site, I'd have a walk around and get a gap to et cetera, as, as, as I would do normally, sort of standard sort of thing for a mystery visit there. So I, I arrived at site, did my little walk around the car park, went and got changed, and it was a really old facility. This. Um, and then I walked into what was the spinning room, which was sort of, you know, you would never guess it was a spinning room if there was no bikes in it. But uh, <laughs> I walked into it, and there's the sort of, yeah, there's like 25, 26 bikes crammed into this room. And I was the only male there. And I was the only male under 50 there. Right? Yeah. So standing out like a sore thumb on your, uh, yeah. on your mystery visit. Spot yeah. the mystery visit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I was getting winks and nods. I was, it was just, you know. I bet you there's a bit of good. stick flying as well. Oh, yeah, there was. There a was few really inappropriate stuff. comments. Yeah, yeah, they weren't bothered at all. So um, it was just highly embarrassing. But yeah. Um, Nevertheless, uh, fun as well. So, mystery visits. I I don't know if you you follow um, LeisureNet, ActiveNet, David Monkhouse yeah. on anything on yeah. LinkedIn. There was a really good um, interview you did during the week uh, with a lady called Hannah Weeks, who yeah. 
who mm. is um, pro insight mystery shopping, I think is what it was called. Mm. And I could not believe the industry that is out there involved in mystery shopping R- right across the board. Now it's a whole, it's a huge community with like thousands upon thousands upon thousands of mystery shoppers and people who, who go and, and use, you know, to give feedback obviously, but it's for everything. It's not just, you know, I always thought mystery shopper quest or, you know, leisure centers, mm. but it's right across the board. Um, and funny, my, an old, a very good friend of mine, um, I used to live with him many years ago. Uh, he, he, he's now my window cleaner. You know, he's retired. Uh, he's retired young, but he he decided he, he was into golf. He was uh, big into golf equipment, etc. But he took early retirement, and he's now cleaning windows. And he was up and we were chatting about X, Y, and Z. And that's what he was telling me. He said, no, I do a bit of mystery shopping now. I've signed up for X, Y, and Z. And then this lady comes on. Um, Hannah Weeks and talks about it. I was absolutely gobsmacked because I still had in my head that the, the extent of it was from my my memory of the Quest mystery visits. Because when you knew you were getting one, mm. everybody in the leisure center was geared up, and everybody, you know, is that, do you think that's the mystery visitor? Do you think that is? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it still happens that Robin. It does. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> honest, I encourage my team to look out for it. You know, so we know it's coming. So we say, look. Coming soon, so she's coming. So yeah, um, keep your eye out, so to speak. Of course, Northern Ireland being Northern Ireland, we would get a lot of people um, who do different visits and, and, and inspections come up, fly in from England, you know, and that kind of sticks out as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But but yeah, it's it's interesting that you, you know you learned a lot doing that as well as part of that. And I presume I think you said all your sites were um, Quest accredited, were they? Yes. Yeah, and, and we like I said, we were in, I was in the affinity with Quest, um, and um, we still to this day do, you know, all of our sites are Quest, and, you know, probably say they're all excellent rated by Quest as well, so um, we, we're very sort of immersed in the Quest process, you know, the standards and systems, etc. and as you say, Quest have evolved, so um, it's not so much like it was in years gone by, where yeah. they just look, look at your facility checklist to make sure it's all been ticked and so on and so forth. Uh, and we're not rushing around the night before putting ticks in boxes sort of thing. So it's not like that. They do look at your business, you know, inside and out. So, um, uh, and we found that. Yeah, it's a way of life now, isn't it, really? Uh, once yeah. you commit the quest, it's not just the stick and plaster. It's let's change our whole culture and and, yeah. and accept and, and, and get ourselves involved. Because certainly I, I've been to a few conferences, you know, the Quest conferences when awards are given out, and you know, the North always seems to do very, very well. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think with, with Quest as well, you know, we've there's nothing much in the industry that can give you external accreditation. Yeah, like Quest, you know, there's nothing else out there. You know, and working in the council, council members want to see you know how you perform, and they, they don't know about the business, so they want to check that. And you know, Quest is a really good vehicle for being able to check. The, the business from an external point of view and measure it against the neighboring council we're better than you yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah 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 Probably nice. how, how many um so obviously you're still at in in hamilton how many facilities do you guys have now in in that area we've got four four facilities and, and they're all wet stroke dry side they're, you know they're wet dry, yeah, tier one centers yeah, yeah. and what's, uh, what's your population and what's your catchment? Because it's it's very spread out, isn't 
it's, it's geographically it's a big old old space really is um hamilton um and a population of around about ninety thousand people so you know it's a we have close we have towns and there obviously clusters of people around towns but in between that there's nothing you know it's sort of fields and sheep um so um that, that's how it, how it works really but um you know we don't get much necessarily people coming from the outside of the hamilton into our into our leisure centers uh, there's a little bit where we border other other authorities but um um, no, it's sort of, you know, we have our own custom base, if you like, and, and uh, it doesn't really get, don't really get affected by others. There's no private sector in the yeah. district, really. So First time I came to Stokesley, I stayed, I think, just, if you want to use the word, over the border in, mm-hmm. in Middlesbrough. And I remember talking to the reception staff at the hotel and, you know, you're going where? You're going to Stokesley? <laughs> like, what for? <laughs> sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it does it does remind me of Ireland very much. So you know what 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 it looks like, etc. Now let let's get back. Let's let's pull ourselves back a little bit here, back on track. How did you get to where you are now? From where we last were talking about, i.e., in the health and fitness sector as managing all that. Yeah. So um, yeah, working in the health and fitness managing job, I really, I really enjoyed that that role. We um, we did, I did quite a lot at that time. I, Totally restructured the membership base. Um, uh, totally re- reinvigorated the, the group fitness program. And I'm not, you know, I had time to do these things, you know, and I was I was paid to do these things, so I'm not, you know, saying yeah. that, you know, anything special at the time. But it was just it was a great opportunity at, at, at that moment. Um, and then what happened is I think it was around about 2008, 2009. My my then boss he left and went to go work at Durham, and um, we had no nobody leading the service as, as, a, as a service lead if you like for leisure so um i was put into a role which wasn't necessarily replacement but it was sort of a quasi role where i would sort of pick bits and pieces up but wouldn't have full responsibility so um it, it was it was a bit of an odd role really um because it wasn't really leading the the, the leisure centers as such it was sort of just picking bits and pieces up and ticking along i suppose uh so i did that for i think from 2011 I started that role and that progressed for maybe a few years um, until I then became the leisure operations manager as I am now. So, so I'd moved from fit health and fitness, not necessarily through choice, yeah. but through necessity. Yeah, through necessity. I know mm. he was, was taking it on. And for whatever reason, the council didn't want to take anybody on at all at the time. So, See um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, and that, that was it. And uh, So that person then, was never replaced then? That person was never replaced. Okay, no. so that was yeah, and after a couple of years, I suppose the post is declared redundant, and you have yeah. to do a wee bit of a, a shake up. And but again, yeah. right place, right time, and saying yes—that comes across so many times with people yeah. that you you, yeah. you took advantage of the situation, and maybe not. Let's just say maybe not overly enthusiastic about having to do everything, but it, it mm. worked out nicely for you. Mm. Yeah, it did, you know, and, and sort of moving back into operations, it was sort of a gradual process, that sort of 2009 right through 2011, 12. It was a gradual process, really, of picking bits and pieces up operationally. Um, and in that void where we never had any sort of true leadership, I get, we, you know, the, the gaps were starting to show. Um, and unfortunately, in that time, we had a, a major incident at one of our leisure centres, whereby uh, a eight-year-old boy uh, drowned in our swimming pool. Um, and you know that was just again I was on the peripheral to that absolutely I wasn't involved or, or in, in the leadership role as such around operations then but uh, I just you know I can clearly remember the impact of that 
um, that it had on the operational team. And in fact, the York Council. So, um, again, a learning curve and not one you want to really have, but um, something that, you know, we've definitely learned from as an organization uh, and we'll live with it forever. No I think when something like that happens in a community like where you lived, it has a bigger effect than, and this is not, you know, this is not to say anything about, you know, one's better or worse than the other. But I think whenever you live in a community like uh, North Allerton, Hamilton District, et cetera, you've, you've got where everybody knows everybody. It, mm. It's tougher on, mm. on the staff, um, you know, it, the victim families, you know, wherever that happens, it's awful. But, you know, mm. if something happens in central London, say, you don't have that same you know, everybody knows you and you think, you know, I've been through it myself and it's, it's, you just think everybody's pointing at you and looking at you mm-hmm. because of that mm-hmm. small close knit community, mm-hmm. which you obviously have in that, in that part, in that region. Yeah. Uh, Robin, last year I had a, a, an HR issue to deal with with a member of staff who was a duty officer and um, he dealt with the incident actually. He was first on scene and um, he, he broke down and this is sort of 10 years later, he was breaking down, having nightmares and thoughts about the, the whole episode, you know, so it sort of lived with him, stayed with the guy, you know, who, who directly involved. So, you know, and the impact of that is just so significant on the person, but, you know, the organisation as well. So um, it, it is, and I think, you know, you've got plans to speak to one of my colleagues who was, was more directly involved in that as well as a, a later podcast and, and he'll definitely be more insightful as to what happened at the time, but it's, it's really useful to share experiences. Yeah, and you've just nailed it. That's the general idea about what what I'm doing with these as well is just to show people show the value of people as lifeguards. Uh, mm. And I had a discussion earlier today about exactly that that you know people don't see lifeguards as having anything to offer when really the skill set that they've learned or we've learned as as young young people, etc is a as a real strong foundation for life um and i think i'm very keen to to show people that if anybody listens into this and is a lifeguard that they can see well you know what david did this or so and so did that and there's a way and there's a plan and there's a route for me mm. you know to claim and, and there's no one right and wrong way yeah, so mm. the the idea of the podcast is to share experiences, and and that's one of the reasons I'm actually looking forward to speaking with your colleague as well about sharing the experience. You know, it's not the rights and the wrongs of it all, but it's how the effect that our, our actions, etc., have had on mm. on ourselves and on fellow members of staff, etc. So that you know, that's mm. for another day, another dollar. Um, mm. But I, I think you, you, what I'm really saying is that's the smaller close-knit local authority it really seems to hit harder when Mm. something bad happens and you know it's not necessarily a fatality in a pool anything like that has has a huge effect and we're probably only starting to learn you know how to deal with those things it was you were making the transition really to where you are now around 2012 when this all occurred yeah, that's right. Yeah, so so from yeah, pretty much that point onwards, I sort of started picking up more operational tasks, um, and then um, there was a bit of a restructure within the organisation. And um, uh, head of service was appointed for leisure and communities, and that was my previous boss that come back from where he'd been, okay, <laughs> and uh, um, rejoined us really. And then he, in, the, in turn, then restructured the 
the management arrangements within leisure um, and then I was appointed the, the operational manager so um, and that was you know 2015 that when that happened so but the build-up thing took a little while before to, to make these things happen but officially from 2015 that's when I became the operations manager so so you um, basically if it moves in a leisure center you're responsible for it is that kind of the, the picture in that respect pretty much yeah pretty much so anything that's anything that <laughs> where the problem not- <laughs> generally it could be me that's how it works so you know i have a colleague who works on the, the business side of things and, and the commercial elements um but i pick up all of the operational stuff there. so like, anything you know goes goes I, I would suggest you've got the good side well, yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, you think not, and when you say it, as you just mentioned it there, but um, I think so because it's it's so diverse the stuff that you get involved with on a daily basis. You know, you, you're an HR manager, you're, you're an IT expert, you're a plant expert. You know, you're a whole range of things, and you have to be a whole range of things on a daily basis. So I, I think you know, yeah, it's got its you know, difficulties in terms of some of the crap we've got to deal with with customers and some staffing issues building issues but um, there's lots of opportunities that, that come with it and uh, every day is different <laughs> it, when on my travels and, and on my talks throughout you know the different facilities throughout the uk i've noticed in particular we, we've kind of lost in a lot certainly in the private sector there's there's this the the, the good ops managers have disappeared mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now a lot of them have been made up. Let's call and let's say general managers, just to use you know a very general term. But the general managers then become more and more um, performance driven and become more and more stuck in their office doing their spreadsheets and hitting targets. And we we seem to be losing this tier of people who actually know, you know, daft things like where something's kept in a center mm-hmm. you know, i know that's really breaking it down to a very basic level yeah. but there's that that seems to be that whole level has disappeared mm-hmm. now what you're doing you know if i was back in leisure that would be my dream job you know let somebody else get on with all the commercial crap and i just keep you know the, you know i'll be the the mechanic if you like that keeps this place ticking over and deal with all the staffing issues and you know the breakdowns and how do we keep this air handling unit ticking over for another three months? You know, I would love that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody else deal with it. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, all that. I mean, going back to your point now, I do worry a little bit about the future in terms of, you know, young managers coming through and having this this, this skill level, if you like, or or understanding of what it takes to be, you know, a a true operational manager in terms of managing the facility and everything that goes with it. Because you're right, people are more focused on, you know, the, the sale. Um, rather than uh, the, the operations, so that that is a, is a concern. Yeah, I, I remember going to sites, and I'm only going back ten years when I was you know started touring around sites and meeting people, and I made a lot of my decisions about who was a good manager and a bad manager by if I actually got to meet them. So if somebody in a particular site never left his office and didn't know what poolside looked like. You know, I instantly classified them as, well, you know, she's not great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't come out yeah. of his office or her office. Where in the, you know, let's say from maybe 2017 onwards, most of the managers didn't leave the office and the ops managers were doing the role that used to be the GM's role, mm-hmm. general manager's role. And then as, you know, more pressure mounts and, and all of a sudden the ops managers are gone. And then you you have a lot of people who have left the industry because 
it's not the industry they fell in love with. It's turned into, you know, where I think you're very lucky in doing what you do at the minute. It's turned into very much, you know, ticking the boxes and target performance driven. And people are going, do you know what? I don't want to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not what it's not why you get into, is it? It's not why we got into it in the first place. We didn't get into it to sell memberships, you know, and to be a you know commercial commercial business. It was because we enjoyed running leisure centres, you know, and offering a great service to, to, to customers. So um, I do feel we're losing that a little bit at times, you know, where we're going. But uh, but you know, we've still got some great people in the industry that oh, you know, absolutely excellent people in the industry that can you know pull us back to where we need to be. Do you, do you think this COVID situation will help redress some of those things because of just where we're placed and the necessity of it all? Or is that just me wishful thinking? Because I'm on the outside looking in. Yeah, well, I think there's definitely something in what you're saying. Now, we prior to us, prior to the pandemic, we, we'd have our annual user survey and always, say, you know, nine times, in fact, 100% of the times, Cleaning would be your biggest issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Back, cleaning would be the biggest issue on all our customers' uh, list. Um, we then did a survey between one of the first lockdown and then um, and before the second lockdown, and cleaning was our highest rated area. So you know, it just t- completely flipped around because obviously we dedicated more time and effort to, to improving our systems and certainly our cleaning regimes. Um, and it was just—it's really interesting, that isn't it? Because that's what people want as well. That's what people want now is a clean facility and want to be assured that they're getting a, a, a clean, hygienic stay at their leisure centre. So, and, and how did you turn that round? Did did you turn that round because you had more resource, more staff, or did you have to shift and say, right, do you know what? Let's forget about diddly diddly dit. Let's concentrate on let, making this facility as clean as your own home. But we started again, basically. In right, okay. Started, we just said, look, look, things have to be different when people come back. Firstly, there's guidance we've got to follow. So you know, we need, we need to follow the guidance, which helps because obviously that forms what we're going to do. It's, um, it's, a good, it's a good stick that as well, having a bit of yeah. guidance, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's national guidance. So, even yeah. the country yeah. where, so it's something that nobody can hide from. Um, so we, we had the guidance, but also we just said, right, okay, let's let's walk through our leisure centre and make this a, a, a better way for people to be able to enjoy the leisure centre, but in a clean uh, safe and presentable way. So that's that's what we did. Um, and we developed safe systems of work, 20 or 30 safe systems of work that were revised for each leisure centre to make them right. And, um, and we've, you know, I have to say, my team did a great job on this in terms of putting things together. Satisfaction levels have been really high. I think what we had some figures back from customers say 90.7% of people that returned from the first lockdown felt the leisure centre was safe. So, you know, that was, again, reassuring that some of the things we put in place were, were really positive. Um, and who, who did the, those questionnaires for you just out of interest? Um, we did it ourselves. So did we, them ourselves, okay. Yeah, we did I'm, do some. I'm not, I'm not doubting them, by the way. I just was, yeah. I was interested. No, no, we did them, we did them ourselves. But it's based on what we always do. So it's the same questions we were asked that we previously asked. So it wasn't for us. And do you feel, was there a noticeable difference or was it just people were more aware that maybe the centre isn't that bad or, you know, what's your take on it? Well, it's, it's noticeable in terms of, you know, okay. we are now stopping at the end of each session and we're cleaning everywhere down. So there's the, physically the centres do look cleaner, you know, and also visually from a customer point of view, 
it's cleaning, but they can also see staff cleaning. So, you know, and the, the channel, the into the leisure centre, and there's the two metre distance and everything else. So the, the policing of what we've put in place has been sort of as important as the cleaning that we've been um, been delivering as well. So um, it's kind of this continual cleaning regime now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and our staff know as well as the customers now that it's the most important thing because that's what you know, customers want. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so yeah, we, we've done we've done done a really good job so far. Our issue is going to come, of course, when we reopen and we've got to offer more more places in classes, you know, more slots in the swimming pool, um, and how we manage to clean whilst we've got the volume of people coming through will be challenging. Yeah, I mean, I just it was again when you were talking, I'm thinking back. I can still, you know, I haven't been a lifeguard since the mid mid eighties and. <laughs> Uh, maybe 86, 87, but um, I still remember the cleaning regime, you know, the deep cleaning regime. Mm. You know, Monday was the main hall, mm. Tuesday was dry side, Wednesday was wet side, Thursday was squash courts, etc., and on the gym and uh, the fitness suite, and Friday was an easy day. It was just all the stores, you know, and yeah. that probably yeah. went on for years and years and years and years. I mean, it still could yeah. be going on because that's the way we've always done it. Yeah. Then the pandemic hits and all of a sudden you go, well, hang on a wee minute. You know, why do, how do we do this? How do we make it better? How do we do, you know, how can we make the place cleaner? Mm-hmm. And it's, I think that's probably another positive that's going to come out of all this that we've, because we'll be honest, cleaning would be one of those things that um, everybody says it's important, but you maybe the, the resource wasn't really allocated to do mm-hmm. that. You maybe had three cleaners on during the day part-time in the mornings came in at nine nine to 11 or something like that and that was it and then it was down to lifeguards who you know lifeguards are, are good at lifeguarding some are good cleaners and some aren't but it's not really a natural a natural thing it's going to be interesting as you say as as the pressure mounts and mm. um, we start filling the facilities again how how we cope with it i think i think robin what, we, what we'll be looking to do is and we've had lots of feedback on this so far is Continuing with the booking of swimming sessions. Okay. That, we've had lots of positive feedback from customers and staff love it because they know what's coming in when and they've got that gap between to be able to clean, you know. So, okay, I need to stop you there. Right. So, talk me through that. So, you've got to you book your swimming just like an old, like a squash court back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what, what sort of, what's your allocation? What's your session time? Is it an hour, 45 minutes, 30 minutes? Yeah, 45 minutes swim and then there's a 15 minute gap between the, the next session coming in. Okay, and and that's just just lane swimming. It's lane swimming and general swimming. So. Oh right, so you have some like free general, as in yeah. you, you can do weds if you want. Um, yeah, we've got minimal numbers in the pool, so we do allow that. So yeah. Okay, right, that's interesting because this is the first I've really had some good conversation about this. So you book your sessions. What's your maximum? You know, do you have a maximum bailer load that you you permit? You know, is it six a lane? Five a lane. Yeah, yeah. At the moment, we 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 with six per lane. So, six per lane. Okay. So you, you've max six lane pool, thirty six people in per forty five minutes. Well, the double lanes. So I should. Say, okay. So you know we've got twelve people in a, in a. I love it because it's low bather loads. So uh, you've got water quality that's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Very regimented for your lifeguards, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the downside you don't have the, the volume then to, to, to pump that up. So do you foresee, have you got an idea of how long you think that'll go on, lane swimming, before we get to 
let's just call it an open Saturday session again. It's difficult, isn't it? I think, you know, we'll be determined by guidance, of course. Yeah. But I'm, I'm thinking, you know, the way things are going, we possibly could look at that in, in the summertime, maybe August, September. Um, we've got a leisure pool at one of our sites, so and it, it really is reliant on that type of user. Um, yes, because yeah, my, my gut feel is September. That's just my gut feel. There's no science. Mm. Just bouncing around, talking to different people, looking at mm. how things are moving. I think we'll, I think we'll be with the booking pool booking system till September. But mm. again, it depends on how we all get through the vaccinations and and, and the R rate, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But you're quite right, and your, your leisure pool. I mean, mm. how do you operate that? Uh, well, with minimal numbers, <laughs> very minimal numbers. That's all we can do at really, stage. So. So you book a family day out, right? I'm bringing the kids, yeah. and it's just you and the whole place. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, people put loads of comments saying they love it because of that. But, um, of course, it'd yeah. be brilliant. That's like yeah. having Alton Towers to yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, they can't use the, the wave pool because that's not used. So it's sort of limited features, really. Yes, so the experience is what it should be. And, and then, what about learn to swim? Mm-hmm. How's that going? You know, what, what, yeah. how, how is your Learn to Swim program been? Obviously, it's been affected because there's no pools open, but have you got your ideas about how you're going to get that up and running again? Well, we've been running it um, from stage four onwards um, recently um, and with minimal numbers again. Um, so we, we are looking now to bring it back, hopefully, when we get the go-ahead to reopen to, to bring stages one to three in um, into the program. Um, it's just difficult because of the of the minimal numbers. We've got high demand, really high demand for the sessions. So we're pretty much 100% across the sites in terms of take-up. Um, and we know we could get more, but it's just getting them into the facility safely now is our problem. So. I was talking to um, a friend of mine who's a leisure manager in, in Ireland here. No, closed. He's head of service. And uh, we were chatting. This was on Saturday. We, we had a Zoom call because we couldn't sit and have a coffee because of COVID restrictions, of course. But uh, genuinely, we were, we were having a chat, and he said to me, he said, you know, he said, bad and all is, is this COVID thing. He says, my budgets have never looked so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and it, it really hit home to me. I just started to laugh. Yeah. It's like it's like the pool plant operator going, you know, I've got the best water quality in the country yeah. until you lot start putting swimmers in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great until the Christmas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those bloody customers coming in and ruining my budgets. I know we'll get we're getting close to wrap up here, but your staff, your let's say your lifeguards, are they they're all furloughed? Are they? Or have they been redeployed? Or but the council have committed to paying for them to be. Yeah, they're getting paid still, but they're at home. You know, primarily. Yeah. I mean, we've got some staff that are coming in doing the daily checks of the building. Yeah. Our management team are working, but um, yeah, effectively most of our operational staff are at home. So you haven't had to, you know, you're not putting them on the bin lorries, you're not putting them in the parks and play areas, et cetera. They've just. Yeah, we, we have actually, we have some of them. So we've, we're doing some lateral floor testing for our council employees. So the council, we all, we provide that for the council. So we're delivering lateral floor testing this week. Um, we've also had some of the staff going to the bins, as, as you mentioned. We've got a clutch of staff that are uh, making um, welfare calls to residents to make sure they're okay those that are vulnerable. Um, and we've just had, dealing with this morning actually, that we, we may well have to deploy a number of staff uh, in the north of the district to to drop le- leaflets and letters off to, to residents to let them know that they need to go get a 
coronavirus test because we need to do some surge testing because on the border of, uh, of the north of our district is Middlesbrough and there's been a South African variant case. So, you know, I've got 25, 30 staff ready there to go if, if needed. So they're lined up and, and doing other duties. But primarily they're glad they're they get out and do something a bit different as well. Some of them, I mean, you'll always get the ones who just want to play Xbox all day, but yeah. I think majority of leisure people are very adaptable and, and keen yeah. to try something different. Well, I'm surprised by that, Colin. Uh, Robin, sorry, I'm surprised by that because um, I thought that we had no interest in these jobs and the, it's been overwhelming, really. You know, people wanting to go out and actively help, it's been brilliant, so... Yeah, and again, I'm picking that up from these these chats with, with folk like yourselves, and, and even locally. Uh, I was down, you know. Again, how's this for people moving on? I've uh, one of my ex members of staff is now the group surgery manager, and uh, she needed some help for the vaccination program because where where ours is is a drive in, it's a drive through mm-hmm. basically, but it's all um, it's all leisure staff manning it. You know, as you go in, they're directing traffic, and and you know they take you right the whole way up to the um, the doctor's nurse who's going to give the injections or whatever. It's just like walking into the leisure center. It's all all the staff, <laughs> which you know it's great, and and that people are are willing to help and and getting out there. What does the future look like for yourself and for the local authority then? Mm, like well, interesting times for us at the moment because um, you may or may not know that the. North Yorkshire is looking to become a, a unitary authority, a unitary council. Uh, okay. By that, they would take and put all of the local authorities um, into one, um, and we would be under the umbrella of the county council. So that's that entire North Yorkshire region is going to become a single unitary authority? Yeah, that's the, the plans. I mean, it's yet to be agreed. There's the consultation exercise at the moment, but that would have a major impact on us because obviously we, we would then have to be managed somehow some other way, um, whether that be through a trust or through the county saying its own measure trust or provision of uh, we'll have to say. How many local authorities are in North Yorkshire who'd be part of that? Uh, there's a number. I think in total there's about seven authorities. Ooh, uh, so it's, with, a, it's a lot. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And that's wide ranging from Scarborough on the east coast right the way through to um, sort of Selby, um, Craven. On, on, on towards so it's the, it's nearly coast to coast. I know it's not quite, but it's not bloody far off. It. <laughs> no, no, it isn't. It's it's a, it's a, it, geographically it's the biggest unitary uh, authority uh, in the country, um, and actually in terms of population size, it's around about six hundred thousand people in that area. So um, it would be a huge task. Um, it will take it'll take some time to, to to sort it all out, no doubt. But um, that's where we're at this moment in time. So yeah. there's a little bit of uncertainty about how we're going to look in the next year or two. Well, you know, good good luck with that, and I'm sure we'll hear plenty of that as we move forward. And, and what about yourself? Um, you know, without putting your foot in it in any way, shape, or form. You know, have you got? Have you? You're quite happy where you are at the minute. Uh, you know, geographically, etc. You've you've not saying you're too young not to have more ambitions, but is it just let's see how we get through this next couple of years? Yeah, I um, think so. Go and take on the world. I think so, yeah. And let's see what opportunities arise. I'm, I'm, I'm always keen to, to progress and, and, and have me for some time looking to see if there's any other opportunities because I'm conscious that I've been at Ambleton for a while. And they're a great employer, I have to say. And you know, I've developed and, and, and got loads from working for the council. Um, but I also know that you know the industry is changing, so I need to think about what, what I do. Um, interestingly, the, the council have just uh, in the process of building a crematorium site. 
it's <laughs> and it's falling to to leisure to to run and I'm, I'm really running that site yeah so um so that's a totally different opportunity that um so i'm uh, intrigued excited um, yeah expensive, but um it's certainly a different opportunity that again can only benefit me going forward no doubt yeah i'm i'm having a little bit of a laugh there you know because <laughs> what my experience of something like that was slightly different in that our local authority we bought an old cinema it was one of the old 1930s, 40s cinemas with a thousand seats in it. And to this day, I can't really work out why we bought it. It was more, I think it was, yeah, let's buy this. And it was yeah. bought. You know, it might come in handy sort of thing. And it was the next thing. It was, yeah, you need to look after that cinema, by the way, for us as well. And I'm going, what? I remember having, a, you know, getting to know the cinema business when the cinema business was, it was, this will give you how long how long ago it was. Toy Story 1, the first one was out. And it was the biggest thing ever hit the cinema. You know, cinemas, cinemas were starting to reemerge again into the into the light, if you like, from the dark. But that was fascinating just to, to all of a sudden be right outside my comfort zone, not knowing anything about you know how it worked how you got films i didn't know anything and it was it was it really kept me going for a little while just that different interest so i'm guessing the same thing crematoriums etc that's yeah. that's a different ball game completely isn't it it's a different ball game yeah and it's sort of it's sort of uh, um, so, it's, yeah. <laughs> as well alongside that we've just as well um we've just been told that we've got you know, multi-million pounds from the public sector decarbonisation fund to invest in our plants across our centres. So, you know, that's another, you know, over the next couple of years thing that we need to, to, to work on and, and challenging and obviously opportunities will come from that for us as an authority. Okay, Dave. Well, listen, David, good to talk to you and, and thanks very much for your time today. It's been, as always, uh, uh, good good to talk with you. I, I know it's been a while. It must be about a year since I last saw you. Um, I was just thinking about it because... Uh, I think I was did a wee little, little bits of work in Centre Parks in around then, but uh, mm. hopefully it'll not be another year before I get to see you again. I will keep in touch. Yeah, thanks very much for your time. No problem. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Robin. Yeah, yeah take care. All the best, David. Thanks.